Amen. Thank you, Melissa. Great thought. Great job. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 468. Page 468. Psalm 103. Paul told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. And so those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus, those of us who have been born again, ought not to have anything or anyone that gets our heart, our attention, our focus, our worship more than the God of the Bible, our Creator. And last week, we talked about our Creator being just. God is just as we learn of Him to flee from idolatry. To be just is to be perfectly fair, to be balanced in both rewards and punishment. Justice is not responding too much, nor is it responding too little. Justice handles every situation with perfect equity, and God is just. We talked about our human desire for justice uh, will not be fulfilled in this life, but it will one day when the God who is just brings justice in judgment and will perfectly reward both the good and the evil. We paused and thank God that the justice for our sins was poured out in the Lord Jesus Christ on his cross. And then we talked about how as believers in Jesus, we should seek to be as just as we can. To be just is part of being godly, to be like God. To be just is part of a life that God blesses. Paul wrote, the Corinthian believers, though there be many that are called gods, there is but one God in 1 Corinthians 8. And though there is one God, the world into which Jesus sent his apostles and disciples was a world that was filled with many that were called gods. There was a pantheon of Greek and Roman gods everywhere. The apostles took the message of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. And some, not surprisingly, took great offense to the apostles saying that those that they worshipped were not deities, that they were either man-made or they were evil spirits posing as a god. And they took great offense to that. And many of the people to whom the apostles spoke, they sincerely believed in those they called gods. But hear me when I say this. Sincere belief in Zeus or Diana does not make them God any more than sincerely believing the earth is flat makes it anything other than a sphere like the Bible teaches and observation has confirmed. It is not the sincerity of our belief that makes something true. It is consistency with the written words of God that makes something true. And though there are many purposes for the Bible, the most important purpose for the Bible is for God, our Creator, to reveal Himself to man. We can all look out at the creation around us, and because of the complexity and beauty of creation, you have to be a fool to not conclude that there is a God. But you and I cannot know that God. We cannot know our Creator from the creation because creation is warped since men fell. If we want to know who our Creator is and what He is like, we must look in the Bible where He's revealed Himself to us. We must learn of Him so we can flee from idolatry. And I think I echo the thoughts and desires of most here this morning when I say I want to believe, know, follow, and love God for who he really is, not who I have imagined him to be. One of the ancient gods mentioned several times in the Old Testament is Moloch. 
He's often associated with the Ammonites who alleged to revere him as a protecting father. He's most often pictured as a bullheaded figure with hands outstretched over a fire. And Molech, being a protecting father, is completely contrary to the common practice of Canaan where those who believed in Moloch would place their child on those hot hands over the flames and sacrifice their children to Moloch. By the way, that's one of the reasons that God commanded the Israelites to snuff out all the Canaanites when he put them in their land. It was not safe being a child in the ancient pagan world, and increasingly not so today in America. But in contrast to Molech, to whom they offered child sacrifices, our Creator, the God of the Bible, is merciful. If you would stand this morning, if you're able to stand in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought this morning is God is merciful. God is merciful. Psalm 103, we begin in the Word of God in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He'll not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Thank you, might be seated. To me, this section of Psalm 103 is one of the greatest sections in the Old Testament. Maybe sometime we will study it in detail, but among other things, David here writes about the great mercy of God as the Holy Spirit inspired him to pen this song. Because our need is so great, because our sins are so real in every one of our life, an oft-repeated attribute of God in the Scripture is His mercy. God is merciful. In fact, we just read in verse 8 about that. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. And then that same verse concludes, He is plenteous in mercy. We just read also in verse 11, it says, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. And when we read about the mercy of God being so great, our mind immediately goes to John 3.16 where God didn't simply love the world, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's mercy is not just great. God's mercy is so great toward them that fear Him. Moses said the Lord is, quote, long-suffering and of great mercy. Numbers 14, 18. Micah said, the Lord delighteth in mercy. Micah 7, 18. Joel said, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Joel 2, 13. Nehemiah described the Lord as being a gracious and merciful God in Nehemiah 9, 31. Paul described God as being, quote, rich in mercy in Ephesians 2, 4. The phrase, when describing God, his mercy endureth forever, occurs 41 times in the Bible. As far as I know, his mercy endureth forever is the most oft-repeated phrase of that length in the entire scripture. His mercy 
God's mercy endureth forever. Say, Brother Wally, why is that phrase so often repeated? Because God is merciful. It's kind of interesting that his mercy endureth forever is so often repeated, and yet it is not recorded even one time in the New Testament. It's not recorded even one time in the New Testament because the Lord Jesus Christ manifested what it was like for God to be merciful in everything he did while he was here. And in the Old Testament, if his mercy endureth forever, God does not need to tell us again because his mercy endureth forever. Now the dictionary definition of mercy is compassionate, kind, and forgiving. And certainly the Bible does use the word mercy in that manner. But in the Bible, mercy is more than compassionate, kind, and forgiving. Mercy in its most basic sense in the Bible is not giving negative justice when someone deserves it. Mercy is not giving negative justice when someone deserves it. By the way, that makes biblical mercy kind of a twin sister, so to speak, of grace. Because grace is getting something good you do not deserve. And mercy is not getting something bad that you do deserve. And because those, because God is merciful, those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not, and I do not, we don't get the hell we rightly deserve. God is merciful. But it isn't just that. Listen, because God is merciful, not one person here, including myself, could ever sit back and say, do you know what? I received all the negative consequences that I deserved for everything I did wrong in my life. Hey, listen, God is merciful both in salvation and in life. And sadly, few believers appreciate the mercy of God. Though in Christian circles, his mercy is regularly talked about. People don't appreciate mercy because far too few spiritual leaders speak about hell, judgment, the negative consequences that everyone's sins justly deserve. And because spiritual leaders don't speak about those things, few believers appreciate the mercy of God. And because believers very often don't grasp how offensive our sins are, our complacency, and our worldliness are to the God who gave it all in sending his only begotten son, we too fail to, to appreciate the great mercy of our God. It is so important that you and I understand who God is because if we don't, we will not appreciate his mercy. I stand amazed in the presence of of Jesus and Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. See, so Brother Wally, how can God love a sinner condemned and unclean? I'll tell you, God is merciful, and his mercy endureth forever. And so what I would like to do this morning for just a few moments is make some observations and applications of the fact that our God, the one true God, the God of the Bible, is a merciful God. Please first turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Some observations, applications of our God being a merciful 
God. Here's number one. Because God is merciful, there's hope for every sinner to receive eternal life. Because God is merciful, there's hope for every sinner to receive eternal life. Notice this interesting parable that Jesus tells, and we have the benefit in this particular case, Jesus is going to tell us why he's telling the parable. And so in that sense, this is an interpreted parable. Let's read it together. Verse 9 of Luke 18. And he spake this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So here's the purpose for the parable. Some people trusted in their righteousness, and they despised those they did not consider to be righteous enough or as righteous as they were. Notice the parable in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. Before we go on, do you see the basis of his prayer? God, hear me because of who I am. That's the basis of his prayer. God, hear me because of who I am. God, hear me because I am a righteous man. Notice, in contrast to praying in that manner, verse 13, the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, Jesus is going to evaluate these two prayers. That's not a very complicated prayer, is it? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's just basically, I'm guilty. God, I cast myself on your mercy. Notice what Jesus says resulted from these two prayers. I tell you, in verse 14, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. See, parables are just earthly stories with heavenly application. In this case, as I said, Jesus reveals the point he's making. Second man who cast himself upon the mercy of God because he simply understood that his goodness was not sufficient to take away his sins, he cast himself on God's mercy. And Jesus very clearly said that this man who cast himself on God's mercy went home justified rather than this man who pay, prayed based on his own righteousness. By the way, this morning, if you want to be saved, you must stop clinging to your own righteousness. You have never done any good work of any sort that could ever on any occasion wash away any sin. Only this death shed blood and resurrection of Jesus can wash away sin. You must seek salvation based on the mercy of God that he offers every sinner through Jesus Christ. There is mercy at the cross of Jesus. There is mercy with the Lord. He will surely lift you up by trusting in his word. Only trust him. See, the average person is trusting their own goodness. They're trusting their own religious works like this Pharisee was to find justification with God. And in the end, that does not get you the mercy of God. 
The average person is deceived into thinking that their religious works somehow wash away all their sins, and that is just not the case. Let me ask you this morning, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Can you go back and find a special, specific moment that left your heart changed when you humbled yourself to call upon the Lord? This is not some prayer you prayed in a desperate moment after somebody died and God gave you comfort because God is good. This is not some time in your life when you or someone near you was sick and you prayed and God, because he was good, brought healing in a situation. This is you at a certain specific time in your life recognizing that you were guilty before God and that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose again from the dead, and that God offered you eternal life through Jesus Christ and you chose to trust him. And it changed you. If not, why not settle that today? I'm told that a common crime of past generations involves stealing and then butchering someone else's pig or sheep or cow. Under the laws of those days, uh, I'm told that if you possessed butchered meat, that was not sufficient to convict you because they couldn't tell where the meat came from. On the other hand, if they caught you with blood on your hands, red-handed, then you would be convicted. In fact, that expression was so prominent, being caught red-handed with blood in your hands, that to this day, though, our culture has long passed most people raising their own livestock and people stealing livestock and butchering for themselves. Today, that expression, being caught red-handed, is still with us. Hear me this morning. You and I are caught red-handed before a perfect God a holy God, a just God. We're caught red-handed in our lies, red-handed in our theft, red-handed in our blasphemy, red-handed in our selfishness, red-handed in our hatred, and in the red-handed sins of our life. God, in mercy, reaches out through Jesus. Why not repent and receive Christ? No sensible person wants God's justice for their sins. Why not turn to God for mercy in Jesus today. But it is not just that we need the mercy of God to be saved by humbling ourselves to receive Christ. Secondly, this morning, please go in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. God is merciful, and the only way to be saved is to look for the mercy of God that he offers us in Jesus Christ. Here's number two. The mercy of God is the only hope for believers as we try to live for Jesus. It isn't just that we need God's mercy to be saved. Believers in Jesus Christ need God's mercy as we live. Philippians chapter two, we're gonna be introduced to a man that most people have not heard of. But in verse 24 of Philippians chapter two, it says, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Paul was jailed in Rome. Verse 25, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, he that ministered to my wants. And so this is the guy who likely carried the book of Philippians to Philippi from Rome. Verse 26, it describes and says, for he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. 
For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Did you see why God healed Epaphrodites? By the way, it's not our subject today, but it's pretty interesting that Paul didn't heal him. For those who believe the false doctrine that God still is actively using the sign gift of healing. Do you see why God healed him? He didn't heal him because Epaphroditus was a good fellow soldier of Paul. He didn't heal him because Epaphroditus had a great heart for the Philippian people. He healed him because God was merciful. Did you realize that God didn't heal Epaphroditus because Paul was faithful? God didn't heal Epaphroditus because Paul had done what God had called him to do. God healed Epaphroditus because he gave mercy to Paul. Listen, the worst basis you and I could ever pray for anything is, God, give me this raise at work. I have done, you fill in the blank. That is a terrible basis on which to pray. Because you, like the Pharisee, you're praying based on your own righteousness. Listen, the best basis on which to pray is the mercy of God. God, I pray in Christ you would be merciful to me and you fill in the blank. See, in our warped way of thinking, believers like Epaphroditus and like Paul were living well enough that they didn't need the mercy of God. Or that God somehow heard their prayers because of their goodness and righteousness when in fact every Christian still needs and will always need the mercy of God on a regular basis. We all need to not receive the negative justice that we sometimes deserve as we live for Christ. Thankfully, God is merciful. No matter how we try, no matter how sincere we are in our faith, no matter how good our character is, we still, as Christian people, regularly need the mercy of God. Now, because we fail, that's no reason to not try to live for Christ. It's a good reason to recognize that how, no matter how carefully we live for Christ, we still need God's mercy. There will be times when our attitude is a poor reflection of the joyful Savior. There'll be times when our words are a poor reflection of the kind and gracious Savior. There'll be times when our thoughts and motives are less than pure for the Savior who is 100% pure. So as Christian people trying to live for Jesus Christ, we still need the mercy of God. Please don't think your need for mercy stopped the day you were saved. Please don't think that your need for the mercy of God stopped on the day you decided to wholeheartedly live for Jesus. You will always need the mercy of God. I want the mercy of God in my life, and I know you do too. And thankfully, our God is a merciful God. I've listened to preachers as you have too, or other people talk about asking God for things. Uh, God, you know I've tried to do blah, 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 blah. Please don't do that. I mean, go ahead, pray however you want. But, but the best way to pray is not based on your goodness. The best way to pray is not in your faithfulness. The best way to pray is in the mercy of God. Have you come to understand you need God's mercy on a regular basis as a Christian? 
both in your good days and in our failures. I'm told the third longest jail sentence ever issued in the United States was 10,000 years for a triple murder. Dudley Wayne Kaiser was convicted by a jury in Tuscaloosa, Alabama in 1981 for murdering his wife, his mother-in-law, and a college student. In August of 2010, he was denied parole for the ninth time, in part because of a letter written by one of the men on the jury. That juror was Fletcher Thornton, and here's what Fletcher Thornton wrote at the time of his sentence. Quote, when the jury was informed we would have to recommend the punishment, we quickly agreed it should be 10,000 years. We agreed that he would serve that long, and we thought we ought to send a message to the parole board that he should never be let out of prison. You know what? Those jurors tried to give that man exactly what he deserved. I'm glad that God is merciful and he doesn't always give us exactly what we deserve because very often we don't deserve good things. God is merciful. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy is available today to you. Not only if you're here and unsaved, God's mercy is available to you. If you're here and you're a Christian, you're here and Christ is in your life, God's mercy is available to you. The question is not, is God's mercy available? The question is, will you be honest about what you really have coming? Will you really take responsibility for your problems and your issues in your marriage? Will you really take responsibility for your problems and your issues in your school and in your workplace? Will you really be responsible and take responsibility for you, you, your part, not someone else's part, your part in whatever conflict there is in the church or in your family? Because if you do, there's mercy with the Lord. But it's not just that we continue to regularly need the mercy of God as believers in life. And lastly, this morning, go please in your Bible to Luke 6. Luke 6. I said first, God makes mercy available in Christ for salvation. I said secondly, God makes mercy available to believers. And we'll need it all our life. Mercy is to not receive the negative consequences that we justly deserve. And lastly, this morning, number three, we should grow to be more merciful people as we follow the merciful God. We should grow to be more merciful people as we follow a God who is merciful. Luke chapter six, this is a sermon that is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. It was similar, but not the same. This instead of on a mountain to the disciples, this was preached in a plane to the disciples, P-L-A-I-N. They didn't have P-L-A-N-E-S then. So it's a very similar message to the Sermon on the Mount, but not the same. Notice what Jesus teaches his disciples in verses 35 and 36 of Luke 6. He says, but love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward should be great. You should be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father, capital F, also is merciful.
We should grow to be more merciful people as followers of the merciful God. Because God is merciful, we should be merciful people. Now I understand the more mercy we sow in our life, the more mercy we will reap in our life from from people. That's a biblical principle. Whatsoever you sow, you shall also reap. But understand that sowing mercy to reap mercy is a good motive, but the best motive for sowing mercy is not so that we would reap mercy. The best motive for sowing mercy is to imitate our Father in heaven who is merciful. Jesus wants his disciples to be merciful people. Let me ask you this morning, would anybody who knows you well describe you as being a merciful person? Or would they describe you instead in your workplace or your school or in your church as someone who rarely gives anybody a break? The first thing they say, the first thing they do that sets you off or sets you out of a joint You know, you're immediately, what about that? Or, are you merciful? Do you want a pound of flesh every time someone fails you? Hey, listen, it's no secret that in our culture, tension is high. Tension is high between the two political parties. Tension is high between people who love and hate the president. Loving and hating the president has not changed. It's just the group that loves and hates has changed. Uh, Listen, it is no shock to anyone who pays any attention to what's going on around you that we live in a volatile world, world where people constantly inflame one another and they use the fact that someone else did it first as an excuse to do it themselves. Can I just simply say to you, the only way tensions are ever going to ratchet down is if God's people decide to be merciful. I'm not saying we ought not to stand up for what's right. I'm not saying that we ought not to point out how the uh, mainstream media mischaracterizes almost everything that exists. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this. In this room, if the people in this room who say you are a follower of Jesus do not ratchet down the temperature of what's going on, it's never going to be any better. You say, well, they... Be merciful, not because they deserve it, but because our Father in heaven is merciful. Somebody has to be the first person to try to bring the temperature and the tension down. And as Christian people, there needs to be more mercy in our words, our attitudes, and our behavior. We should be merciful in our homes toward the faults of our spouse, our children, and our parents. We should be merciful in our workplaces and schools toward the faults of our coworkers and fellow students. We should be merciful in the church toward those who fall, toward those who are weak, toward those who are making bad decisions, toward those who are not mature in their faith. We should be merciful. I didn't say say that something's wrong is right. I didn't say that. I'm saying call what's right right and be merciful. I hope you're not someone 
who wants mercy for you and your family, but calls for justice for everyone else. Listen, it is the government's job to exact justice, and you and I should support the police and courts when they do that. But it is our task as individual Christians to show mercy whenever we can because God, our Father, is merciful. And his mercy is everlasting. You see, being merciful is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Would anyone who knows you well describe you as someone who is a merciful person? Being merciful is part of being godly. Godly means to be like God, and God is merciful. On a cold night of November 12, 2004, six teenagers in Ron Concoma, New York, bought a 20-pound turkey with a stolen credit card. And then while driving on Sunrise, Sunrise Highway, 18-year-old Ryan Cushing threw the frozen bird out the back window of their moving car. And the turkey hit Victoria Ruvolo's car, shattering the windshield and smashing directly into her face. She was taken to the hospital with life-threatening injuries. She awoke days later with no knowledge of what had happened and four titanium plates in her face and a metal screen around her eye socket. Once she got off the medication, she recounts lying in the bedroom at her sister's house and crying herself to sleep, asking, quote, why me, God? What did I ever do so wrong and so terrible in my life that I deserved all this to happen to me? And here's what she says, and gradually, it began to dawn on me that God had allowed me to live through this ordeal because she was in good health. And the idea that it happened for a reason dawned on her. And that she had saved someone else who might not have been able to survive. And that's what got her through rehabilitation. And though her face was permanently changed and disfigured for life, when Ryan Cushing was facing 25 years in prison for what he had done, she stood up and recommended amnesty to the judge and looked Ryan in the face and said, do something good with your life. Because of her mercy, he only received six months of jail time and five years of probation and community service instead of 25 years. There's a woman who understood mercy. Not giving the negative consequences Ryan Cushing justly deserved. It's the judge's job to do justice. It is our job to be merciful. And I think it is far too uncommon here. I'm not preaching to our culture. Plus, if you're going to come to Bible Baptist Church and you want to come every week and have somebody talk, talk to you about how bad it is out there, you're going to have to go somewhere else. I believe God will always have a faithful remnant. I believe that anybody who wants to can be part of it. And I'm not here to preach on the sins of our culture. I'm here to help anyone here who wants to be helped become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be more merciful. Would anyone who knows you well describe you as a merciful person? You and I as believers are supposed to be merciful, not because the people deserve it. Listen, nobody deserves it. If they deserve it, it's not mercy. 
Mercy is not giving negative, just consequences simply for the sake of being merciful. And when you and I are merciful, it sets us free from the poison of vengeance that destroys our hearts and destroys our minds. I hope in here you've heard of Corey Ten Boom. She's best known for hiding Jews during the Holocaust. Her biography is in our bookstore. I, I would to God that everybody here bothered to read it, as well as other biographies. We wouldn't be such, uh, so ignorant about what goes on around us if we understood better what happened in the past. And she and her family were captured and sentenced to hard labor in concentration camps in Germany. She alone, from her family, survived. Everybody else died under Nazi captivity. And she was confronted again and again with her need to forgive those who brutally tortured her and her family. After her release, she gave her testimony often in churches. And here's one of the things she would say, quote, up in that church tower is a bell which is rung by pulling a rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging slower and slower until there's a final ding and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, we take our hands off the rope. And if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, don't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep dinging for a while. They're just the dings of the old bell slowing down. Let me ask you this morning, have you let go of the rope? There's not a person here who, if you stop to think about it, couldn't name people in your family, people in the church, and people among your friends who've done you wrong. And you just keep dinging on the bell, and you wonder why anger and bitterness and resentment and vengeance just fill your heart and mind and you can't find the peace and joy of God. And I'm just saying to you this morning, let go of the rope. The bell is going to ding a little while longer. But eventually, by the grace of God, it'll stop dinging. And instead of an open wound, you'll have a scar. God is merciful. Are you? God is merciful. Have you sought his mercy for salvation as a sinner? God is merciful. Do you seek it and appreciate it as a Christian? Would anyone who knows you describe you as a merciful person? Amen? You'd quietly stand.